0: As you dive into this teaching from High Point Church, we pray that it will help you grow in your faith as you believe in, belong to, and become more like Jesus. If these messages bless you, would you consider giving back in support of this ministry? You can give and learn more about High Point at www.highpoint.church. Good morning. Good to see you this morning. Ed Stetzer here, teaching pastor. And uh, this morning, my hatred of coffee, became a problem for me. Some of you love coffee, don't understand that. I hate coffee. Uh, My mother, when I was a kid, my mother gave me a cup of coffee. She said, you know, drink this. I said, that's really gross. She said, we have to get used to it. And I just determined, why would I want to get used to something? If I don't like it, I don't like it. So I hate coffee. So this morning, I uh, was reviewing. Thank you. I got one person with me. It appears like, not my wife, by the way. She loves coffee. Um, so, So this morning, I was waking up and reviewing my notes for today. And I took out my computer, my laptop. I just got my laptop. I ordered it in January, but due to supply chain issues, it just showed up. Uh, I got it Friday. So, and I hate that. I hate supply chain issues. I hate them. And so, so this morning I was having my cold, ice-filled Diet Coke uh, from a cup, a new cup that my. I usually have my. I have this specific blue cup, but they were dirty, and I hate that. So I got. My, uh, my daughter has this cup that's like slippery, so I take my, my Diet Coke, which I love, it's Breakfast of Champions, and I, uh, so I'm having it from a slippery cup that I hate, and I spill the entire Diet Coke on the keyboard of my brand new computer that I got Friday. Yeah, so today's going great, I hate that. Um... <laughs> So, um, so that was my morning. And, uh, so thankfully I had already emailed my notes to my iPad and I can use them here, but it was such a perfect day because we're talking about what God hates. And I think God hates coffee. Um, actually, no, that's not true. That's not true. But, but you know, we, we hear the word hate, hate can be a jarring word. I used the word hate like eight times just then. And there's some kids here. And when I, when our kids were little, We didn't let them say the word hate. We didn't let them say the word stupid. We didn't say, some of you are looking at your kids right now saying that you're hearing the pastor say all these things. And I apologize for that. So uh, I hate that I have to say these things to you. Um, But we didn't, because it was too strong of a word. Yet in the Bible, actually, there's a list of things that God hates. God hates. Now, again, when you think about it, it makes sense, right? God hates wrong he hates injustice, right? And you hate too, you hate that too. You hate when you see on television uh, people lose their lives in the war In Ukraine. You hate. We we have people in our church who are housing and hosting people who have escaped and lost family members, perhaps, or friends, and we hate that. So it it shouldn't surprise us that there are things that God hates, and he hates them with a holy hate, a righteous hate. But the problem is, is we use the word hate is kind of like it's a word that we don't say because it's too strong. We actually tell our kids, you don't hate it, you strongly dislike it. Right, you've passed that on to your kids. That's what I say as well. But the dictionary definition of the word hate is to feel intense or passionate delight, uh, excuse me, dislike for someone or something. So there are things that are right to hate. And today we're going to look at a passage. As a matter of fact, the title of the message is The Wise Hate What God Hates. And the Bible actually lists in a very fascinating passage in the book of Proverbs. Several things that God hates. Now, if you're new to church, maybe your first time, you're like, okay, so this is, I knew this all along. God hates a lot of things, and he hates all things that are fun. And that might be what you thought. You know, he's a fun killer, wanted to crush everyone, and these Christians followed in his footsteps so they can be hateful people. And, and what I would say is, is you're going to see today that there are reasons that God hates these things. We're going to dig into God's word, because not only what does God hate, But why does God hate it? And therefore, why should we? So let's look at Proverbs. If you have a Bible, open it to Proverbs chapter 6. If you're using one of these blue Bibles that are in the seats, right, it's on page 531. So we're going through the book of Proverbs, walking through, looking at proverbial wisdom, right? What are these Proverbs that might speak to us? And this is kind of a really fascinating section. Right now, we don't have time to go through all of Proverbs chapter 6, But I also want to do something a little different. I'm gonna ask you to read this passage aloud with me. So if you have the ESV translation, you'll be able to read it right out of here. If not, you can look up on the screen. So let's read it together. It's not that long. It says, well, let's read it together. Ready, here we go. There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. So these are holy hates. Now, you might say, how many? Because it says there are six things that the Lord hates. And you might be thinking the writer of Proverbs is right. There are six things. He's like, wait, no, there's seven. And so he says, then there are seven that are abomination. But this is kind of a literary device uh, to start so we remember it, right? So the writing in Proverbs is often written in poetic ways that are, make a point, help us to remember. Uh, not dissimilar to Abraham Lincoln, four score and seven years ago. Why didn't Abraham Lincoln say 87 years ago? Actually, it was probably related to the Bible, because the Bible says that the, our lifespan is three score plus 10, you know, 70 years. And so, So when Abraham Lincoln says the country is 87 years old, he's trying to emphasize it's lived more than one person, so four score and seven years ago. So you remember that, right? If you went to high school here in the States, you remember, you probably, somebody memorized or did a speech on the Gettysburg Address. So here is a literary device. The writer of Proverbs wants you to not miss. There are seven things the Lord hates, six things, excuse me, and seven that are an abomination to him. So we're gonna go through these seven holy things hates. And again, the phrase holy hates may be jarring to you, but you're going to see why God hates these things. Number one on our outline, if you're taking notes, you can jot this down. Number one, God hates haughty eyes. Say the word haughty with me. Are you ready? Haughty. Again, haughty. It's not a word that we use a lot, but it's probably a word that you know. Haughty is like prideful, disdainful. In the Hebrew, it means to lift up and look down from, right? So there's a sense that haughtiness or haughty people or haughty eyes. And one of the things you're going to see, it's really fascinating, is the Bible Proverbs ties these to physical uh, parts of us or physical activities. So God hates haughty eyes look with me at proverbs chapter 6 verses 16 and 17 it says there are six things that the lord hates seven that are an abomination to him haughty eyes is the first of them he feels god hates he feels passionately against these things they're an enemy of his design and his intent there's an abomination it's a repulsing it's repulsive it's like sick to our stomach So so again, it's a list of these seven things. And the first hate is haughty eyes and sometimes referred to as a proud look. Haughty is um, defined as blatantly and disdainfully proud, right? (laughs) Having or showing an attitude of superiority and contempt for people or things perceived to be inferior. Right, so pride, first thing on the list. This haughty sense of pride, first thing on the list. Because God's very clear about how he feels about pride. Throughout the Bible, we see that God, I'm just gonna use language from different verses. Actually, a lot of them from Proverbs, but throughout the Bible. God, words from the scripture, God opposes, resists, abhors, tears down, brings down, has scattered, is scornful to, reprimands, will punish, is angry at every arrogant person. Those who have a proud look, those whose pride wells up, Arrogant scoffers, quoting here, the prideful man, the prideful man will be brought low, humiliated, disgraced, doomed, destroyed, humbled, will not go unpunished, was deposed from his royal throne and his honor was removed. So pride, big deal to God. He hates haughty eyes. Haughty eyes just say it's all about me. Haughty eyes are centered on us. You might say, well, I'm not that way. I'm not arrogant or cocky. I don't look down disdainfully at others. And what I want you to see is, is God hates the full expression of these things. But as we walk through these things, there's also parts of all of us that sometimes have these things. We're going to see this, that all of the hates, the holy hates, so it's not, because it wouldn't be ironic if it starts off with haughty eyes and you heard the seven hates and you say, boy, yeah, those things are really bad. I'm glad I'm not like that. Right? So, so that's not, we don't want to miss this, right? So the full expression of these things, God hates, but the inclination towards these things also tend to be in my heart and in yours. So haughty eyes could be expressed in different ways, right? Maybe you've said out loud in your heart, I got this, I know what I'm doing, I don't need help. I do that, I, maybe you do that, I do that. Been a conversation that shifts to something you're not interested in and kind of phase out and disengage, try to get to the next thing or maybe to the next person, right? Haughty eyes, maybe you've been in a, in a meeting where Somebody's like looking and they're talking to you, but they 're kind of looking over at somebody else who might be more interesting that's haughty haughty eyes right so so um, or maybe you have a sensational desire to be right all the time. you go toe to toe with anyone in any conversation because you're right and they're wrong and you're not going to back down. I mean gee whiz that's I mean, that's still stuff I deal with in my marriage. maybe you're better than I am, but Don and I deal with this in our marriage, right so we're we were just talking. Yesterday, she. Uh, we're coming up on our 35th anniversary. This August 15th is our 35th anniversary. Well, thank you. Um, we got, got married in, at 20, and, um, which don't tell our daughters. And um, so we got, so 35 years. So this, this August 15th, we will be our 35th anniversary, and I'll spend it driving my daughter to college in California. We're down Route 66, and so I'll call her on our 35th anniversary, I think from somewhere in Oklahoma, and tell her that I love her. Um, but, the, but the reality is, I mean, having to be right all the time would have been a challenge in my marriage, right? Maybe not in yours, it's been a challenge in my marriage because I feel the need to be right. Now, Donna is off mostly right, so it works out pretty good for her sake, um, but... These things are all part of these haughty eyes. So there's the worst expression of it God hates, and then there's the everyday expression of it to which we're inclined. Do you see the distinction I'm making? There's the worst expression of it that God hates, then there's the everyday expression of it to which I'm inclined, right? Or maybe I'm asked to do something that maybe I shouldn't be doing that. Maybe I I have a phrase that I teach my leaders. I'm a dean at Wheaton College, and I teach my leaders that leaders pick up the trash, So we're walking across campus and there's something there. We're the ones who see something there. We pick, I say, leaders pick up the trash. And there have been people who have said to me over the years, well, that's. I mean, we have have people to do that. No, but leaders pick up the trash. So that's something that we do. So, so, but you might say, well, I'm too good for that. Well, then you're probably not the right person to be a leader. So we can see all these things, right? But here's the thing. It's very easy to criticize others and say haughty eyes are bad. But Romans 12.3 is an important thing for us to hear, right? So Romans 12.3 says, For by the grace of God given to me, I say that everyone among you ought not to think more highly of himself or think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. So there's God hates the full expression of this, but there's still an acknowledgement that we have an inclination towards these things, and pride is just, it's just prevalent. It's just all over. It's the root of what caused Lucifer to fall from heaven. Uh, pride is the root of why Adam and Eve ate the fruit. They wanted to be elevated like God. Uh, pride's the root of a whole lot of decisions that we, that we make. Uh, and that's, that's pride, right? That's pride. So let's, let's go to number two, or we're gonna run out of time. There's seven things. I don't usually have a seven-point sermon, so I wanna make sure we get to all seven. Sometimes, I, a little secret, sometimes I have a four-point sermon and I don't tell you because I run out of time and then I finish with three points and you don't know that there are actually four points. But in this case, you would know because it's seven things God hates. So I can't like sneak a point away. And then as I was saying, there's just five things today and then go on. We gotta go to all seven. So number two, God hates Lion tongues. Lion. I want to put I want to drop the just Lion tongues. God hates lying tongues. The second Holy Eight, verse 17, says a lying tongue. Six things the Lord hates, seven things are an abomination. A lying tongue. Now, again, I love how it connects to like a bodily part, right? It's a haughty eyes and a lying tongue. So it's not really the tongue or the eyes that are bad, it's the heart. That is bad. It's inclined towards sin for all of us. And then its worst expression, God hates. But I think it's good to define what lying is, because at its core, it's deception. It's trying to deceive someone that they don't see the truth. That's really tricky. So I've, you know, years ago, um, I was listening to a a teaching from a pastor named Jack Haverd, who happens to be a friend of mine. I really found this teaching helpful. And he made a commitment to. Never lie, even when a lie was the socially right thing to do. So for example, he gave the example, and I've kind of taken it from him. So like when someone has a new baby, <laughs> and they say to you, isn't this baby beautiful? And you're like, what do I say? Because sometimes they look like they're not done. <laughs> right? Am I, am I telling the truth here? Okay. So, um, so I say, well, that's a baby right there. Right, so you don't—you're not necessarily—you're not lying. You're not. Um, <laughs> so don't ask me if your two-day-old baby's beautiful. I'd say all babies are beautiful, right? Right. Life is beautiful, right? So, but—but but the commitment to the truth that. Where we're inclined towards white lies, really no such thing as white lies. God hates the full expression of it, but we still have the inclination towards it. So lying could be concealing the truth, exaggerating the truth, partially revealing the truth, twisting the truth. Um, those are all parts of that. So uh, maybe it's because we're just too proud and we want to save face, and so we don't, um, we, we, we don't admit the truth, right? Uh, these things to go hand in hand. Matter of fact, it's interesting because we're too proud, so we got haughty eyes and we got a lying tongue. Those go together. Those go together. um, And and we try to breeze over something like it's nothing. But Jesus, I mean, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus actually describes and defines himself as the truth. Satan is the father of lies. uh, And if we're walking in deceit, uh, we're walking in step with Satan, not with Jesus. Okay, so let's get to number three. So number one, we started with God hates haughty eyes. Number two is God hates lying tongues. But continuing the theme that a body parts, right? God hates hands that shed innocent blood. Now, again, you might say, well, this doesn't seem like a big thing today. Well, let's go back to when this was written because it was much more common that um, an argument might escalate and families might end up in feuds and death might ensue, right? So chapter six, verse 17 says, God hates hands that shed innocent blood. And the word innocent here doesn't mean, just, doesn't mean without sin, it, but it refers to this broader um, value of life, of we're all made in the image of God, worthy of dignity and respect. Right? We think of the, the sixth commandment, Exodus 20, 13, uh, you shall not kill. Right? So we know this is a grievous sin, and it's an affront to God, who's the giver of life, who created all people in his image. People who are uh, people who are not from here, who don't think like us, who don't act like us, who may, who may be opposed to us, right? People who've been historically mistreated and marginalized, who've experienced injustice, even people who who've Put the injustice into place, uh, born and unborn. God hates those who shed innocent blood. Now, now, obviously, I said unborn, and we're right now right after the repeal of uh, the overturning of Roe v. Wade, which is something that many of us have worked towards, prayed for. I've spoken to the March for Life here in Chicago. I've been involved and engaged in pro-life ministry for a long time, um, and I want to now this. This our series was planned out long before uh, this was going to happen. But let me let me take a moment and mention that and talk about that for just a moment because it's a key moment for us. Uh, but things haven't changed in Illinois, and there's nothing different legally regarding uh, Roe v. Wade and more in Illinois. Um, and so we're still engaging in persuading here. We're trying to change hearts. Here still, we're involved in pregnancy alternatives, Uh, we're in guard to abortion alternatives and more. Uh, So as we look at the, and we're going to be more involved, we're going to double down on those efforts, right? So we look at the events of this past week, Supreme Court, decades of division debate over the definition of life. We look to the word of God as the source of our truth. And we're all created by God in the image of God from conception. God is the origin of all life, and ultimately we're pro whole life here at High Point. We've talked about things God hates. Let's let me tell you what God loves. God loves life. God loves the life lives of the unborn. God loves the life lives of the born. God loves those who are against you and mad at you. God loves those who you might be against. God loves you. God loves those of you in this room that made a difficult decision that you now regret, wish you could take back. Uh, God loves you. And just as the wise hate what God hates, we're to love what God loves. So he gives each of us new life. And in that renewed life, he's calling us to be people of justice and to protect those that need protecting. Why? Because we've received his love. This is an opportunity, I think, for the church to step up, take action into love, especially, especially those who believe something different uh, than you. Right now, you can show the love of Jesus to them. And then at a greater level, we can be the body of Christ who surround, care for, walk alongside every step of the way with women who find themselves in an unplanned or an unwanted pregnancy. That's what we have been called to do. So this moment, which doesn't change anything in Illinois, reminds us that we want to be people who show the love of God in the midst of a divided time and a frightening time for a lot of people. Amen? Yeah. So back to the text, you say, well, Ed, I've never shed um, innocent blood. And most of you have not. Uh, most of you have not been engaged in something where you've shed innocent blood. Um, so, and, and most of them were not, which is what's fascinating. So why does God say this? Well, remember... God hates the full expression of these things, and so the full expression of hate is ultimately leading unjust and unright hate to the taking of shedding of innocent life, but Jesus actually reminds us of our inclination. Remember, God hates the full expression, but we still have the inclination. Look with me at Matthew chapter five, verses 21 and 22. It says this, you have heard what it was said of old. This is Jesus speaking. He says, you shall not murder. Whoever murders will be liable to judgment, but I say to you, Jesus is coming a higher standard than every everyone who's angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. So God hates the full expression of these things, including hands that shed innocent blood, but we all have an inclination towards the kind of anger that's murder in our hearts. So it's not just with our hands, it's with our hearts. So all of these have an inclination that I have at times, and I bet you do too. So here this morning, anger, jealousy, envy, hatred for others are not just innocent feelings. Things we need to take seriously and not there are things we need to take seriously and not mess around with. Unchecked anger, jealousy and envy is actually often the precursor to shedding innocent blood. Not that your anger is gonna to lead to that, but Cain was, in the Bible, Cain was angry with Abel before he murdered him. Joseph's brothers were jealous of him before they plotted against him. So violence can lead to violence in our hands. Violence in our heart can lead to violence with our hands. Even if it doesn't, Jesus is saying it's a hard issue. The inclination still matters. God hates the full expression, but the inclination in our hearts still has to be addressed with. So hang, uh, harboring anger and jealousy in our hearts towards someone, see those feelings and thoughts you think nobody else does, God does. Renewing our minds and cleansing ourselves of those regularly really matters. Actually, as a matter of fact, Pastor Craig, in a few minutes, is gonna lead us in the Lord's Supper. So the Lord's Supper is designed as a time, literally, it's written to examine yourself in 1 Corinthians. So Jesus calls us to partake in the Lord's Supper. Paul writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that we should prepare ourselves so as you don't look at this and say, God hates the full expression. You still need to look at your personal inclination towards these things. And literally, we're going to do that in just a few minutes as we partake in the Lord's Supper today by remembering the shedding of Jesus' blood on the cross for our sin and in our place that washes clean the blood in our hands and the blood in our hearts. So I encourage you even now as we go through this to listen for the inclination and prepare your hearts for the Lord's Supper. Number four on our outline, right? God hates an evil heart. Another we've gone from eyes to hands, to I mean to tongue, to hands, to now a heart. Now the word heart represents um, desires, motivations, intentions. We still use that word that way today. Um, let, let's look at, at, at verse chapter six, verse 18. A heart that devises wicked plans. So God hates a heart. They're an abomination. A heart that devises wicked plans. Now again, there's the full expression and then there's the inclination. Um, and I wanna talk about the full expression for just a minute. I was watching the news just recently, a lot of generals on talking about war and soldiers and all those so things. I'm so, you know, we just passed Memorial Day, thankful for those who laid down our, their lives, they gave the ultimate sacrifice for the freedom that we get to enjoy. Um, but the, the general was actually talking about and talked about how there's a certain percentage of soldiers who come into the military, um, whoever branch it may be, and they're, they've got some. Problems, some evil intentions. Uh, he didn't use these words, but their hearts are bad. And what he said was, if the commanding officers aren't ready for that and redirect them, they'll actually bring other soldiers to the bad. And so, so again, we have this. And he didn't use the term exactly, but these inclination in our hearts. So there are some people he said that need to be rooted out or addressed because they're. Their heart's just is already there. It's expressing that. But there are other people who are all inclined towards that. And there's both of those things that are very real. So, so we recognize God hates an evil heart, a heart that's in, that, that walks towards specifically it says this: a heart that devises wicked plants. God hates that. Let's talk about the inclination though, because your heart is not. Well, the advice that the world gives goes like this: follow your heart. Trust your heart. Listen to your heart. The heart wants what the heart wants. My heart was in the right place, etc. Um, and I want to say to you, that actually is built on a faulty premise and assumption. Jeremiah 79 is a better assumption to build this upon. It says this, it says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Because remember, God hates the full expressions of these things, but we all have an inclination towards these things. And our heart, well, Jesus actually says this. He says, but the things that proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and those defile the man, for out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, and slanders. So in the heart, so our heart has an inclination that if it gets carried away or not addressed, theologically we're born sinners by nature and by choice. We're sinners by nature and by choice, born with that inclination towards sin. You know that, right? You didn't have to teach your kids. If you have children, you didn't have to teach your kids to do wrong. You had to teach them to do right. That inclination was there. Those desires are still there, and I'm still tempted. You're still tempted. Those desires are still there. Billy Graham puts it this way. Desires are sown in the heart before they are reaped in the field of action. Desires are sown in the heart before they're reaped in the field of action paints a pretty grim picture, right? So we have an inclination towards evil, towards sin. But it just reminds us just how broken the world is and nobody gets through this broken world unbroken. There's brokenness in all of us. So evil is something we have to root out to renew our hearts, right? And call out on the world, right? As evil and wickedness is rampant, our enemy is real. Evil heart conspires schemes, plots against other people or groups of people for personal gain or for evil purposes. So God's hate is aimed at a heart that's given over to evil and wickedness that seeks to plot against what is good, but we still have this inclination in our own heart. Let me give you a few indicators. You know, we have a team, our campus pastors work together, and we have a team and talk some about the inclination, indicators of an evil heart, right? So here's some examples. Evil hearts, um, evil hearts create confusion and contention. Um, evil hearts fool others with flattering language and empty words. Evil hearts crave and demand control. Evil hearts play on the sympathies of good-willed people. Evil hearts lack genuine remorse and compassion. So there are people whose hearts have been given over to evil and wickedness. God, God hates hearts. You see it in verse 18, right? A heart that devises wicked plans, given over to that, right? So, um, and yet we can all recognize there's an inclination That we all have. So, Warren Wearsby, the legendary pastor of Moody Church from years ago, said, The heart that devises wicked plans is hateful to God. It's hateful to God because it's a misuse of the great gift of imagination that He's given us. People thinking up bad things, God hates those realities, and we can join God in that hate. Number five on our outline, God hates feet that run to evil, right? You still got these, it's right, heart, feet, hands, eyes, tongue. God hates feet that run to evil. Look with me at verse 18, the second part. Feet that make haste to run to evil. They're something God hates. It's an abomination to him. Now, I gotta tell you, um, there are feet that God hates, the full expression, that runs towards evil. Intentions, motives, desires that run towards evil. But I gotta tell you, my feet take me towards bad things. Walking downtown Wheaton the other day and My feet took me to Kimmer's. (laughs) Like, why am I here? Trying to be healthy. So remember, not the full expression, but still an inclination that's there. Patterns, strongholds, habits, right? They can take us to that. And there's, there's an old preacher phrase that I think is pretty, I've heard it years and years ago. Here's what the preacher, the old preacher used to say. Sin will take you further than you want to go Keep you, long, uh, keep you longer than you want to stay and cost you more than you want to pay. Let me say it again since I stumbled through it. Uh, sin, the old preacher says, will take you further than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay and cost you more than you want to pay. So the inclination, your heart can get given over to, get caught up into those evil things. So running towards evil also means running away from God. He knows what's best, what's helpful, what brings joy, purpose, blessing into our lives. So uh, the consequences can be feeling distant from God. We need to move on. Number six, God hates false witness. Verse 19 says this, uh, a false witness who breathes, now it's lungs, doesn't say lungs, right? But it says breathes, who breathes out lies, didn't we already talk about a lying tongue? We did, but a false witness is somebody who's bearing false witness, who's telling false information maybe to undermine others. You say, Ed, I would never do that. Actually, I think you probably have done that in the last few weeks. It's just easy to do it for all of us. You hear Jan from accounting is getting a promotion, but you know she's, she's the worst. Nobody likes her. Not even good at her job. You heard that our neighbor's this way or that way. I can't believe that guy in leadership is in leadership. He doesn't even know what he's doing. How is anyone supposed to follow him? We're bearing false witness to undermine, to slip in these destructive conversations, and it's as easy, easy as breathing. A false witness who breathes out lies. It's as easy as breathing. Number seven, and finally, God hates divisiveness. Now, when I say something like that, some of you think, well, somebody, what if I got to tell the truth and people don't want to hear it? And let me just tell you something. Every passage and every sermon on every passage doesn't address every aspect of those realities. I want you not to miss that, right? So when I get up and I say, let's talk about what the Bible says about this, there are other things that the Bible says about these things, right? So so don't hear that every aspect or every possibility is covered when we might disagree. But here's what verse 19 says, and one who sows discord, God hates an abomination, one who sows discord among brothers. There's a time and a place to disagree. But some people sow discord, and they work at it. And sowing, just like breathing is a physical action of a lung, sowing is a physical action to plant seeds. Um, something seems to have happened during the pandemic. Um, my wife has turned into the plant lady. She wasn't into plants beforehand. Now she's into plants. And I've been told, some of you looked at one another, I've been told this has happened to a lot of people. Because like nurseries are all like, they were, they were just ramped up. People got pets and plants in the last two years. So Donna is going around taking care of the plants in her house in the morning. And it takes activity. It takes intentionality. And when you plant things, it does. And if you're going to plant and sow discord, it takes intentionality. And it's the complete opposite of what God's intent and design is. Here's the deal. At, you know, what's, at High Point, Naperville, I know everybody loves each other. There's never any conflict. Okay, that's just not true. I mean, when you got people, you got conflict. And some people sow discord to make it worse, and some people work towards unity. Look at Psalm 133, verse 1, which is the exact opposite of Proverbs 619. Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers, and we'd say brothers and sisters, when brothers and sisters dwell in unity. The heart of God is that you and I would dwell with him and with each other in unity. That's what the world looked like before sin entered. God dwelled with his people, walked with them, talked with them. Adam and Eve were one together and in an instant division entered, severing the relationship with God and with one another. Okay, so seven things. Why does God hate these things? Well, it actually gives us a little bit of the idea just in the verses before. If you have your Bible open and hopefully you're following through with me, you can actually look the words ahead in verse Verse 12. I'm not going to read it for the sake of time, but why do I hate these things? Actually, verses 12 through 15, it's a mirror of the verses, and it actually communicates about the worthless person. Wow, that's strong language. God hates these things. Before that, it's a worthless person. Worthless person has crooked speech, Devises evil, continually sowing discord, but notice what happens until verse 15, which is right before explaining that God hates these things. Verse 15 says this, calamity will come upon him suddenly. So that 12, 13, 14, talking about these very things that are reflected, mirrored in our passage that begins in verse 16, calamity will come upon him suddenly in a moment, he'll be broken beyond healing. The reason God hates these things is he knows where the path leads. You don't want to go down that path. God hates these things in part because he loves you and he loves us. It leads you, to be, you and I to be broken beyond healing. They draw us in. Take us further we want to go. Keep us longer we want to stay. Cost us more than we want to pay. God hates these things because he knows you will only be at peace. You will only find joy, fulfillment, satisfaction, contentment, and have life abundantly when you turn to him. Amen. Sin destroys, divides, diminishes, disconnects us from God. And he hates these things because they draw us away from him. But here's the miracle. Ephesians 2 says that Jesus came to reconcile us both to God and to one another. So Jesus comes as the antidote. He comes to address those things. He stepped out of heaven, went to the cross to pay the price for the very things he hates so that you and I wouldn't be broken beyond healing. Maybe some of these things you have done. Maybe some of these things express the current moment in your heart. But certainly for all of us, there's the inclination there, but Jesus has come to change us, to forgive us, and to set us free and to put us on a new and different path. So I want to invite you today, As we go to the time of the Lord's Supper, as you're invited as a follower of Jesus to address the inclinations in your heart and in doing so to draw close to Jesus and say, Lord, help me to repent, to redirect from these kinds of inclinations and help me to hate what God hates. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, I wanna invite you to receive by grace and through faith Jesus as your Lord and Savior today to say, forgive me of my sin, Lord. Some of these things describe me, forgive me. Whatever you have done, the Lord Jesus has died on the cross for your sin and in your place, and you can be forgiven as you receive by grace and through faith. Would you pray with me? Lord, we come before you this day, and we acknowledge, God, that we need you to forgive us for the times we've been caught up in sin and to give us grace to walk on the path you've set for us, away from the inclination and ultimately the path you've laid out for us. May you be glorified in our lives.